from the Mission Ballroom in Denver, Colorado, it's E-Town on the Road with our special musical guests this week, Charlie Crockett and the Greyhounds. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, here comes our host, Nick Forster. Thanks, Helen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to E-Town. We are coming to you this week from the Mission Ballroom in downtown Denver, or almost downtown Denver. It's in the neighborhood now known as North Winecoop, or sometimes Rhino, which I think comes from the River North neighborhood. Of course, New York City was the early adopter of all those neighborhood acronyms with SOHO for south of Houston Street and Tribeca for the triangle below Canal. But Denver has Lodo and Rhino and Lohi and all kinds of other neighborhoods. All I know is this is a cool spot in an emerging and transitioning neighborhood. Uh, Denver, by the way, is kind of a happening city these days, so different from the sleepy western city it was when I first hitchhiked here back in the early 70s. The Mission Ballroom is an example of the urban redevelopment of formerly funky industrial neighborhoods that's happening in lots of cities. This is a 60,000-square-foot music venue that was built by AEG, can seat around 4,000 people, and can also be configured for smaller audiences. It's been open for almost four years, and it was really good to be backstage and see how this whole space was designed thoughtfully for touring musicians so that they can feel comfortable. Our guests this week, Charlie Crockett and Greyhounds, are both rootsy, although they represent slightly different sides of the Americana music coin. Greyhounds have been on E-Town a few times. Great trio of talented guys from Austin. And up first is Charlie Crockett. His story is a good one. Born in Texas, he started playing on the streets of New Orleans as a teenager. He busked on the streets of New York and Paris. He lived in Spain and Morocco. Got a couple of felony convictions for selling weed in the Northwest. He rode freight trains and hitchhiked around. He always was working on his music, writing songs, recording, making a bunch of records. I think he's put out 10 records now, and he's back in his home state of Texas, living in Austin. Last year, the Austin Music Awards awarded him both Best Country Artist and Musician of the Year. Big stuff. And he's still in his 30s. So right now, let's go to the stage of the sold-out Mission Ballroom and listen to Charlie Crockett and his band live on stage in E-Town. Good evening, Mile High City. I'm Charlie Crockett. Thank you so much for having us out tonight. It was the time of the cottonwood trees. The time of the cottonwood trees. I met her at the Pale Horse Saloon. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Her pretty hair was brown, her eyes were tea. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. It was the time of the cottonwood trees. I don't know if it was all of me. She drove a blue pickup truck. Boston loved it, though it really wasn't much. She loved me In the time of the cottonwood trees The time of the cottonwood trees 
said, follow me up the Rio Grande Yes, he did Yes, he did She said she liked the way I crossed the line That's a fact That's a fact It was a time of the cottonwood trees And you could smell that sage on breeze I drove a blue pickup truck Boy, she loved it, though it really wasn't much Kinda like the way she loved me And the time of the cottonwood trees The time of the cottonwood trees To figure what life really means I can still see that blue pickup truck Bossy loved it though it really wasn't much Kinda like the way she loved me In the time of the cottonwood trees In the time of the cottonwood trees The time of the cottonwood trees I 
tell you something true Every little thing I do Leaves me lonely all the time The summer season is turning cool Though the days are still hot That's for you, Denver Charlie Crockett, welcome to E-Town. So glad you could do this today, man. Oh, brother, the pleasure belongs to me. Thank yeah. you for uh, having me on the program. Yeah, it's funny, as I got to start learning about your life history, and, uh, you know, you're a young man, but it makes me tired just learning about all the things you've already done. It's a yeah. lot. You know, somebody might be on the track looking over their shoulder thinking I'm safely behind them, but in reality, I'm just coming around to lap them, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I want to start by just asking you about some of the places that were really helped kind of shape your creative path, you know, maybe starting with New Orleans. So as a young guy, you went down there to stay with your uncle and pretty soon you're, you're knee deep in the whole scene down there. Musically, what did you latch on to first when you're down there as a young person? Well, I was born in, in deep South Texas, uh, right. the Rio Grande Valley, and there's not a lot of economic opportunity down there. So, you know, my mama had to my daddy wasn't around back in those days, so she would send me to live with my uncle in New Orleans as a kid, you know, because right. she thought I would I needed that. And um, that's what put me right in the middle of the French Quarter because he worked right there. Yeah. And the street activity was always vibrant. There were always a lot of street performers, a lot of brass bands, yeah. a lot of people playing pickle buckets and tap dancers you know, street dancers. And Did you ever come across my buddy Washboard Chaz? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a fixture down there. Yeah, he used to live up near Boulder. He was the mayor of Gold Hill, Colorado. Well, that's a hell of a story. That's <laughs> crazy, man. Yeah, you know, and I'd, I wouldn't come back to New Orleans for quite a while in turn, as an itinerant. Uh, hitchhiking and hoboing seemed like the best idea. You know, there's yeah. the old Bob Marley line, uh, if you're not living good, travel wide. You know, I subscribe to that, you know, because yeah. I just... I just packed my grip and hit the highway. And so I spent a lot of time hoboing through the up and down the West Coast, working on farms in Northern California, and then making my way across the country to New York City, and then coming down into New Orleans from New York City. And that's when I walked into a, a very vibrant street scene in the post Katrina era, you know, yeah. out of the turmoil and, and tragedy of Katrina, there was, um, yeah. there was a very vibrant street culture. Yeah, it kind of distilled thing down to its essence, right? The the deepest part of New Orleans that survived Katrina was both hardened and sweetened a little bit, I imagine, by that experience. Yeah, it's a delicate situation, honestly, yeah. and a lot of neglect, a lot of chaos, a lot of uh, folks capitalizing other people's misery. But in those kind of circumstances, it was almost lawless wow. for years yeah. in terms of the way that it, the code on the street. Yeah. 
Well, New Orleans was always a little loose like that anyway. Yeah, that's right. When I was a kid, I remember like you couldn't get a receipt anywhere, you know, and if you really pressed them, they would they might write a, a receipt down on, on, a, on a notepad with some, and a pencil. <laughs> Pirates, man. Pirates. And now, what about when you go to Paris? What, what was your approach there when you're playing on the streets in Paris? Well, I ended up there uh, by circumstance like everything else. Um, I'd play outside all day in New York City. And I met a lot of people that way, and I became friends with a guy that eventually he uh, helped me get over to Copenhagen, Denmark, and I worked like that kind of coffeehouse jazz circuit around that city. I wore my welcome out at the clubs really quickly, and it was stuff that was over my head at that point. I was still just really rough around the edges, not really able to lead a band, you know, effectively. And I remember getting a couple of chances to get up there and kind of just kind of messing up the money, that kind of showed that I wasn't ready for the club circuit. And so it drove me out onto the street in Copenhagen. And at that time in my development, my street performance was worth more money in Denmark than it was in New York City. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I went from making very little money to uh, making a, more money than I'd ever seen as a street person. And then after doing that for about eight weeks, I, I actually got, per, I got tired of Copenhagen. And on a wild hair, because my, my mama loved Paris, France, and didn't think too much about how hard it might be to go to France where the language barrier was significant compared to say Northern Europe. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't think about it cause I might've gotten cold feet. Yeah. But uh, I got off that bus there, fell in with gypsies on the street and yeah. I was born in Texas, but you know, I say I came to life on the street in Paris, France, man. I hopped the turnstiles and the subway there a thousand times and never got one <laughs> ticket. You jump a turnstile in New York city one time, they find you. <laughs> You know, I love Paris. Well, so much forward momentum, man. You were restless, but you were also really sizing it up and making progress all along the way. And yeah. tell me about the music you were listening to. Like, who were some of the sort of touchstones musically for you during those formative years? Hmm. T-Bone Walker was a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, Ray Charles, kind of all along the way. Jelly Roll Morton, yeah. and Billie Holiday, and a lot of stuff. But... I remember I would be over at people's places like in the Marigny and the Bywater and, and this particular house that I spent a lot of time at had a really deep classic country vinyl collection. And there was like a whole shelf of Ernest Tubb material. We opened for mm -hmm. him one time and I talked to his bus driver afterwards and I said, man, what do you do with all these cool outfits you guys wear? And he said, well, we keep two of them going at a time and every six months we get a new one. And I said, well, what do you do with the old ones? We look for a young band that's coming up and see if they want. I said, can we get him? And he said, yes. So I bought seven matching Texas Troubadours outfits from the tour manager. Did Bus you get driver. a deal? hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. I guess it's not quite as cheap as Marty Stewart getting him out the trash, but I bet that was the next place they would have exactly. gone. Exactly. <laughs> that would, they would have gone there. Yeah. That was pretty That's cool. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love those Texas Troubadours. Ernest Tubb is a, he had a famous line. He said, uh, if you're going to call me a hillbilly, you better smile. So he's a hillbilly. But he's also a showman. But that band behind him, those Texas Troubadours, those guys were ice cold jazz musicians that could handle anything you threw at them. Oh, man. You know? I so, love that uh, Willie Nelson's sitting in with them when he does My Window Faces South. Oh, man. With the yes, Texas sir. Troubadours. That's a smoking cut. Yeah, man. I played with Willie in Central Park, 100 yards from the first bridge tunnel in Central Park that I ever bust under when I first landed there because I crashed with a guy in Spanish Harlem. And I woke up the first night I was staying there and I wandered off into that park 
and that was probably in like 08. And then, you know, 14 years later, I was playing the summer stage opening for Willie there, right in that same spot, man. And uh, yeah, it makes you feel like, you know, somebody is watching out for you a little bit. Yeah. And now you're living in Austin, is that right? Yeah. Feel a little bit like full circle, kind of. You're back in Texas and in a different kind of community, but at a different stage in your career and feels like home. It does. You know, being from the Rio Grande Valley and way down in South Texas and then spending time growing up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you know, I kind of avoided Austin and what I wanted to get away from my situation in Texas as a young man. You know, also just I wanted to see something, you yeah. know. So Austin was a little too close. But you would end up routing through there even as a hobo trying to get back out west from New Orleans. You'd go through the rail yards in Austin and spend time over there hanging out on South Congress or 6th Street or over on the east yeah. side or whatever. And I, I kind of never considered that it would be a place that I would end up moving to. Yeah. But when I was coming back to Texas after getting off the street, I signed a bad record deal right off the subway cars in New York City. Didn't work out. You know the story. I turned that curse into a blessing. And when I come back down to Texas, I went to Central Texas. I fell in love with Austin because I met a guy at a blues jam uh, named Jay Moeller who ended up setting me up with Billy Horton, uh, mm. a guy that I've recorded who's been involved in every record I've made since 2015. And that's the reason I ended up in Austin. And I came to realize what sets Austin apart from any other town, especially as a working musician that's out here, you know, on the, on the bigger circuit. I love the community. I love the amount of live music available there. And yeah, Austin's changing, Denver's changing. There ain't no such thing as the good old days. Right. And the people that made this great American music that this music's built on their backs, those didn't come out of good and easy times. You know what I mean? So I, I don't believe in the good old days. And uh, there's no town I'd rather be in than Austin and the support and love and the, and the true sense of community towards the artists there is yeah. just, I'm very glad to have found it, you know? Yeah, well, and I'm, that's a, I'm, I'm, I've joined a long line of people that feel that same way. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. When I first moved to Denver in 1975, there were a bunch of Austin people living here, like Tommy Hancock and the Supernatural Family Band and Jimmy Dale Gilmore oh. and Butch Hancock. These guys were all coming through here all the time. That was my, my first band with, was with Jimmy Dale here in, in Denver. But Is that anyway, right? Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. You know, tonight's the most tickets I've ever sold in my life a, over on a, in a single night show, even over anywhere in Texas to this point. Wow. It's the most tickets I ever sold, just to a uh, little tip. Uh, the hat to Denver, and I guess I, my mama was born here, so I'm sure she's good luck to me, too. Yeah. Well, listen, congratulations, uh, Charlie. Thanks so much for spending so much time with us. We're happy you could be part of the E-Town gang, and uh, good luck, man. Good luck. Oh, it's an honor, man. Yeah. Really, truly, honor. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, brother. Got Odessa on my mind I stay worried all the time Wish I didn't earn so much But I don't have that kind of luck It's a go-down dirty shame I can't even hear her name So I'm sailing off my pride With Odessa on my mind I've got Odessa in my head I think I'd like to wake up there And I find 
both my tears Yes, I know I'm talking bad I turned off the best I had Ain't no way to walk no line With the old dancer That's Charlie Crockett and his band live on stage at the Mission Ballroom in Denver. We're going to take a short break and be back with more music from Charlie Crockett and up next, the Greyhounds. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. You're listening to E-Town. We're at the Mission Ballroom in Denver for a show with Charlie Crockett. And up next, one of the coolest musical partnerships in the world. Guitarist Andrew True ran an ad for a keyboard player in the LA Weekly back in 1999. And Anthony Farrell responded, the two of them have been a musical powerhouse ever since. Their partnership involves both writing songs and performing and playing in other people's bands, most notably as members of J.J. Gray and Mofro, They've been playing together as the Greyhounds for years. And I'll fill you in on a little secret, which is that Anthony is not only the keyboard player and principal vocalist, he's also the bass player with his left hand. So when you hear them, just listen to the bass line and know that there's only three of them on stage. 
Anthony Farrell playing with keyboards and singing and playing the bass lines, Andrew Troub on guitar, vocals, and Ed Miles on the drums. So here they are live on stage at the Mission Ballroom in Denver, the Greyhounds here in E-Town.
Anthony, the Greyhounds, back at E-Town. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, you, too. Yeah, so you're out on tour with Charlie Crockett, playing a bunch of dates, and how's that going? Yeah, everybody's been great. I mean, you know, it's just a a diverse group of people coming out to see the shows, and and I think because of the juxtaposition between the styles of music, it's just interesting to see their reaction to it as well. Yeah, well, I love his phrase, golf and Western music. You know, he really does incorporate that whole kind of southern soul sound from new orleans over to the you know of course you guys are absolutely universally appealing <laughs> that music just works thanks yeah yeah that's right we're music the whole family can agree on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got it looked like a couple of buses and a oh, bunch yeah. of crew and and you guys are 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 just we're in a Chrysler Pacifica. A Chrysler Pacifica, <laughs> trying to trying to just hold on and keep up with the buses. Oh yeah, but it's been it's yeah. been great. It's been a blast. But sometimes, you know, um, I know that when I was touring, that the agents would sometimes look at and see five hundred miles as being like that's a reasonable 
distance between one-nighters. Yeah. And uh, that can make for a long drive when you're in a Chrysler Pacifica. Oh, yeah. But it's fun, too. It's like we spent so much time in the bus over the years with Mofro. And uh, being in the van, it, um, it acclimates you to where you're going. Yeah. You really absorb the energy of where you're, whenever you're on a bus, you sleep through all of that. Right. And uh, you hear the accents changing. You know, you're way more in tune sure. to where you are um, when you're traveling in a Chrysler Pacifica. Yeah. And especially coming from, <laughs> and if your previous gig was in Kansas City, you got to get a long chance at getting a vibe from Kansas. Oh, yeah. We got deep in the Kansas vibe, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. He got stuck in Kansas. He had to do yeah. a session. I was actually doing some work with the Charlie Crockett camp, and I was fortunate enough to play on the most recent record. So they went in to do some little more recording, and so I got to be a part of that as well. Oh, and so cool. I got to join them yeah. for the drive. You know, I got to see it from both both yeah. perspectives. Well, let's talk about recording because your latest record was a couple years ago, Primates, right? Yes. And uh, Steve Berlin helped you with that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, he definitely. got to have some Los Lobos special sauce? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you learn from you know, the way you've been making records and what does Steve Berlin share that you didn't know before? You know, everybody I've talked to about Steve, they agree that he's like a producer's producer. You know, he's not going to come in there and tell you how you're supposed to do things. He's more like, hey, I'm going to open up these doors and show you that there's possibilities here and you can go and explore for yourself. I'm just here to kind of yeah. help guide you. That was such a rewarding experience because, you know, we've all been in, you know, those types of relationships where it's like you have a common goal, but everybody has their idea of how it's supposed to go, you know? And uh, so it's nice that we got that recorded and that, yeah. you know, we had such a good experience. Yeah. And are his invitations to open up new doors, are they more musical or more technical or more structural? Where do they... I mean, it was all over the place. Yeah, it was everything. You know? that, that's what was great about it is that, like, you know, we had a bunch of ideas coming in there. You know, Andrew and I got together and, and just recorded a bunch of, of really different snippets of ideas. Yeah. And so we kind of came in there just ready to kind of, hey, let's just make something happen. And so some of the things we had, like lyrics written... Some of the things we didn't, and so he offered suggestions on that kind of stuff. Oh, cool! Um, and just all across the board, there were so many different aspects of the process where he kind of just showed us another direction that we could go, and it just informed the whole process. Yeah, yeah. Hey, another thing I want to ask you about: speaking of creative projects, manifestations. I understand both of you are going to be dads. <laughs> That's right. So when you find out that you're going to be a dad. What does that do to your worldview? What is that? How does that change the way you see your spot and where you're heading? Well, we will get to that, but I have to say something about that. So he had a he got pregnant, or his wife did. They they got pregnant, <laughs> and like my wife and I, like we are not going to have kids. We're just not doing it. She's an artist, you know. I'm a musician. We're just like whatever. So. Um, they got pregnant, and then two months later, my wife got pregnant, and she didn't believe it. She's like, it's impossible. There's no way I'm pregnant. And it's just crazy because he and I have been together for, like, 23 years doing work together. And, like, out of all the yeah. time now, like, 
<laughs> but and it happens. Yeah. It's like we were. What did Christine say? Uh, forced maternity leave or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But at the same time, it's just pretty cool. Yeah. But I just thought it was pretty uh, magical how that happened. You know. Um, yeah, I've been reading about how our immune systems are combination of all these things that are swirling around trying to keep us healthy, but that mostly we're also a whole lot of different kinds of bacteria. Yeah. And that gazillions of bacteria that we share with the people around us and that that becomes a big part of who we are and how we are in the world. And yeah. if you spent 23 years next to each other, man, you're sharing yeah. a bunch of biomass between you. <laughs> that's what I say. He gave me baby COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. So <laughs> anyway, but yeah, we're excited. But you, that the question you were asking earlier, you you probably yeah, well, have thought about that more than I have. <laughs> well, man, I mean, it's very sobering when you think about, hey, you're bringing another life into this world, another character onto the the play, you know, but it, it's exciting. It's amazing. It's scary, you know, but like most of all, it's just, this is what we do. You know, we're humans. We, we make more humans and we try to, you know, we're reaching for something, you know what I mean? And if we don't find it, then hopefully the ones that come after us find it. And, and you know, the, the big thing I'm already realizing and what a lot of people have already told me is that, you know, it's not about you anymore. Yeah. And you know what, to be honest, that's a relief. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, take some of that focus off of yourself and put some of that energy into the world and try to make it a better place for other people, especially, you know, yeah. your family. You know what I mean? And so now you sound like you're, you're preaching the E-Town gospel. Hey, right on. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, you know, yeah let's, let's everybody do it, man. Like, I thought about this whole program because I had kids. You know, yeah. it's like, how can I think about the way music connects people and then try to make things a little better on behalf of this next generation and see if it can't can't right work on. out and make yeah, some absolutely. stuff happen better. And it's not just more bringing more people into the world, it's bringing more love into the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I congratulate you both on all fronts, man. Appreciate it. Congratulations that. musically, being out there, hanging out with Charlie Crockett, being on the road, making music, recording, yeah. being dads. Yeah. It's, good. yeah. it's awesome. Pretty well, it's well. great to see you all again. You too. Thank good you. To see you too. Thanks for the having The adventure us. continues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Greyhounds right here backstage at E-Town. That's right. <laughs>
Watch out now.
so much for great hands rock and roll y'all that's the greyhounds andrew trube on vocals and guitar anthony farrell on keyboards and vocals and ed miles on the drums we will be back with more music from charlie crockett after a short break This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. As a reminder for your viewing pleasure, there are over 2,000 videos on the E-Town YouTube channel, where you can also subscribe in order to stay up to date with our latest offerings. 
You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like KXT in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas, on WITH in Ithaca, New York, and on KRVS in Lafayette, Louisiana. As always, if you'd like some more information about all the things that are happening here at E-Town, lots of stuff is online at etown.org. Before we get back to music from Charlie Crockett, I just want to share something that Willie Nelson has said for years. He actually said it to me when he was first on E-Town years ago. He talked about how his music could bring together what he called the ropers and the dopers. And, of course, he meant the cowboys and the hippies who are part of Willie's audience and have been for years. I have to say that looking out in the audience at the Mission Ballroom at Charlie Crockett's crowd, it wasn't quite as obvious. There wasn't any tie-dye or headbands that I could see. But I have to believe in this red state, blue state, divisive time that maybe it's just Charlie being from Austin, which people know as the blueberry and the tomato soup of Texas politics. This music is actually bridging a gap and bringing people together from different points of view. And I have to believe that that's a good thing. With that in mind, let's go back to the stage at the Mission Ballroom for some more music from Charlie Crockett and his band. We ain't done. Come on, hit them, boys. The circus is coming through. Everybody knows that when you purchase a ticket, you expect to get a show. Take a look at me. I'm just a clown And on my face I will frown I pay the call To hang around So take a look at me I'm just a clown The Joker Stands in the middle And turns
Charlie Crockett, live on stage at the Mission Ballroom, along with his band. I want to say thanks to all of our guests. Of course, the Greyhounds did a great job. Thanks to Charlie Crockett and his band. Thanks to our production team. That includes Todd Ayers, Zach Littlefield. Special thanks to Helen Forster. We're going to leave you with most of another song from Charlie Crockett's set. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town.
is a production of E-Town. There you have it, Charlie Crockett and the Greyhounds at the Mission Ballroom in Denver. It was a really fun night. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Nick Forster. Thank you for listening.